maybe even one of the longest threads is uh, what's your location and internet speed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who, who finds that interesting? We do. Yeah, we do. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, podcast listener. Even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Hey, yo, happy Thursday morning. It's the Tropical MBA podcast. This one, you can find all the show notes at tropicalmba.com slash roundtable. Happy to say hello to you this morning from Saigon, Vietnam. Just arrived back in town and I got to see some old friends, some of whom will be on the show today. So let me give you a warning. A lot of you are familiar with, I used to do Tropical Talk Radio, and part of the reason I started that show is I wanted the freedom to just sort of stick a mic in front of interesting people and see what they had to say. When I moved to Bali, there was sort of this creative explosion of people, entrepreneurs showing up at my door, and I wanted a creative outlet that was outside of the format of the Lifestyle Business Podcast at the time, which is typically Ian and I just sort of going through five tips about a certain topic. And a lot of times I think bloggers and podcasters, we get accused of oversimplifying things, sugarcoating things, or giving systems and blueprints and methods when that's not really how success works. And this episode, we're going to do a little experiment like this. So we've never done anything like this on the show, which is I pulled five people into the room to talk about this idea of success and narrative fallacy. And it's just a conversation. Really, it's an hour of us just talking about trying to decode success versus trying to just jump into a community of successful people. We talk about how the digital nomad landscape has changed over the last five years and what we expect in the coming future. We talk about loneliness and entrepreneurial depressions. We talk about the specific people on the show and how they built their cash flows and what they might do differently in the future. We talk about the number one piece of content that they would suggest that's actually useful. So who knows if this episode is going to be useful or not. And we talk about serendipities and synergies and weird sort of unpredictable things that pop up when you sort of hang around with each other. You know, it's just so different from what we normally do on this program. So I want to warn you, you know, it's, it's, it's meanders, there's no real structure to it. And it's sort of an opportunity to be a fly on the wall. It might be interesting to you, it might not. Either way, let us know. It's tropicalmba.com slash roundtable. Let's get started with the show. And hey, if, if you're a little time crunched this week, you don't have a long, lazy afternoon to listen to five guys talk about random stuff and do some navel gazing. We'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. What do you say we get that base walk going? All right, boys, today we're going to talk about the narrative fallacy. So give me a hot second to read this definition. This is from The Black Swan by Taleb. The narrative fallacy addresses our limited ability to look at sequences of facts without weaving an explanation into them or equivalently forcing a logical link, an arrow of relationship upon them. Explanations bind facts together. They make them all the more easily remembered. They help them make more sense. Where this propensity can go wrong is when it increases our impression of understanding. So my understanding of this quote is basically, if I want to explain how I built X successful business, I might look at all the logical facts that happened before that event and weave them together in a story that suggests that all of those things needed to happen and did happen that led up to that success. And I might just be wrong about that. I think that's what Talib's asking us to be wary of. And and so I want to talk a little bit about this with you guys. But first, can you introduce who you are and what you do? We're going to get into the stories, but first I want to talk about entrepreneurial success and being here together in Saigon. Sounds good. I'm John Myers, johnmyers.com, designer, entrepreneur, based in Ho Chi Minh City at the moment. Regular podcast guest. 
Yes, we got sir. the Lazinator. <laughs> Zach Lazarus from TimelapseStrategies.com. Video Wiz, we got Terry Lynn. Terry Lynn from BuildMyOnlineStore.com and also BallerLeather.com. Everybody knows Terry Lynn and of course... Jimmy Hayes, I started a travel gear company last year on Kickstarter and we're, we're getting towards fulfilling that order. Yeah, you're doing good. Thank you, sir. Everybody thinks my bag is cool. I've even had women suggest that I was cool because of the bag. I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Quite frankly. We, we designed it with that in mind. <laughs> so, so people have come up to me and they've said, that bag is amazing. I would like one. Where can I get one? And you know what I say? I know the guy who made this bag. Here's his number. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So I was talking with an aspiring entrepreneur the other day. And he was really interested in the story behind the blog. You know, oh, you know, he was sort of pointing to elements about my personality and things that I had done, like with music career and other stuff, and maybe more personal things that you, when you meet people in person, there's things that I might not write about on the blog, trying to point to those things. Maybe those things contributed to what's happening. And, and I kind of thought, I don't feel like I do this as much as this person. Because when I'm looking at blogs and reading podcasts and stuff, what I'm kind of doing is not trying to necessarily decode precisely who that person is, but I'm trying to think about how can I jump into that conversation? Is there any way that I could do the same thing or participate with them in that conversation? And I thought about that as we were all sitting around last night at the bar together. And I said, why don't we just remove the alcohol and move this party in front of the microphone? So how do you think about this narrative fallacy stuff? I think a lot of people are looking for a silver bullet. And so people want to fixate on one particular item, your character, personality, privilege, lack of privilege, and latch on to that and use that as the reason that catapults you to your success. Is it ever useful to try to do this kind of thing? I mean, what's a better strategy? What are the key lessons and takeaways? I think we were talking about this earlier. You really need to have your mind aligned with understanding complexity. You know, what are all the factors? And you're not going to focus on just one or two simple things and be able to extrapolate that, you know, this is the reason for your success. I'm trying to think like how important is it to be in person? I mean, maybe there's something to that when he was pointing to me and said, oh my gosh, like now I see a, a lot more than I can see from the blog because I met you in person. I mean, we're all sitting here around the table. Yeah. I mean, I, I got to think that that's a, an important part of this, right? Well, so I think I, there's only so much you can do online, whether it's forums, chatting, even Skyping. There's a human element you miss out. Like, I hung out with John for a month in Taipei. I never even met him before, and we're, like, you know, good friends now. I think yeah. you miss that relationship part of a human-to-human interaction when you're just online. So, yeah. You write a blog post, and you label down everything you do every day. I mean, that's not what people want to read, right? So, or, or you do a podcast, same thing. I mean, you can't do a podcast 24 hours a day. Narrative has been present throughout human history. I mean, the Odyssey was an oral story that got repeated over and over and eventually became a book once we did that sort of thing so there is such value in the narrative and the most engaging narrative is often black and white i think but life is more gray like john was saying you can take key lessons and learnables from that but to think that that one thing you read is correct and right and is the only way to do something i think is where you start striking problems i love narrative i feel like the reason is is when someone puts out a buffet of complexity you don't really know what to do but when someone comes out a blogger a writer a business person they say you know what you should do you should open up an amazon store and here's all the freaking reasons you should do it it simplifies the decision making process because especially in today's world, I'm low on decision-making power. And I feel like narratives help me make decisions. And, and that's where the complexity comes in. Okay, so I made the decision, and now a whole bunch of BS. And maybe that's where the attitude thing comes in, because certain people are like, that's a bunch of BS. That means you're full of BS. My attitude is, well, no, life is just full of BS. Yeah. I mean, did you expect anything to be easy? Where did that yeah. expectation come in, you know? Yeah. I want to talk about the genesis of how you guys came to this table. I think that that's very exciting and maybe you can relate it into you know you can tell your narrative maybe that'll inspire some people so let's start with you jimmy why are you here in saigon and how did you get started with this stuff rather than picking apart the conversation to actually joining the conversation i think it was originally just a gut call i mean a series of gut calls and and we're here saying that that a narrative is a convenient simplistic kind of way of looking at things but that's what you have to do right because life is unimaginably complex to cut it down to clear moments it was a series of you know everything that brought me here but specific things where I moments where I said okay I'm not working in whatever industry anymore I'm going to go out on the road and I decide that travel is more important than working in my job 
we decide that you know the best option would be to make a travel gear company because that allows us to travel and have a business and do all those sort of things. And then you know we're working away by ourselves for a while, and then it was a, another gut call to say, okay, going to this tropical MBA course is going to have more upsides than downsides, right? Like without knowing how it was going to pan out, it's just like, a, ah, yeah, I think this is going to work out. What really helped us make that decision was like, when you put yourself out there and you say, I'm going to go and meet people doing a similar thing to me, that very rarely ends badly. I mean, you put yourself into enough situations where you're meeting people that are doing similar things to you and, you know, running businesses or, or doing whatever it is you like to do. Business conferences are like sex like when they're good, they're really good, and when they're bad, they're good too. It's, it's sort of it's sort of like hanging out, you know, with people that are doing similar things. I mean, how yeah. could it possibly go wrong? It doesn't mean that everything's going to be great. It doesn't even mean that a great thing will always be great, or a hundred percent of the time it's going to be awesome. Just to keep putting yourself out there into situations where good things can happen to you, I think that's luck. I mean, things can happen to you, but you can keep putting yourself into situations where good things can happen to you, and you can kind of use your judgment to figure out what those situations are embracing the complexity of life and knowing that you can't know everything and that you can't read a certain amount of things and then you'll know the right path right that's not going to work you know it's Derek Sivers that says you can inhale all you want but sooner or later you've got to exhale and actually do something yeah and that's an important point I guess I have a fundamental problem with people like you said like when you're writing a blog post you're doing a podcast you, you have to present what you think you can't just present complexity it's a two-way street so like you know because there is no formula to success. At the end of the day, like no one owns your success. You know, so just because you took some guy's online course or you joined his membership site or her membership site, it doesn't mean that that was the reason. You yeah, know? but you guys also have to remember that there's a lot of competing information out there that's selling the dream. So there's so much of this conversation that's out there that does make it look easy mm -hmm. that people get that in their head. Absolutely. I mean, that's the whole seminar industry. I was in that scene like six years ago and I realized it's all a bunch of bullshit. And I mean, people seek those little shortcuts. And then I realized that you're spending this time and energy on looking for the shortcut instead of just hustling. Isn't there a value in making elements of it look easy? I mean, 4-Hour Workweek is an example of something that said, look, it's not that hard. You can do this. Here's mindsets that you can embody yeah. that will make it easy to see what you need to see. But isn't it more valuable to say, this is hard. This is really hard and you can do it. You know what I mean? Like, it's better to tell a kid, wow, you did such a great job. You must have worked really hard on it rather than you did so well. You're so smart. You know, right. that doesn't teach that that hard work will get you anywhere. Right. I, I think it's better to be saying, yeah, no, no doubt this is hard and you can do it for sure. Is the willingness to work hard what connects people at this table? Is it good looks, charisma? Oh, uh, all the above. Course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I, I think that's a part luck? of it. Is it luck? Is, it, is this a self-selecting crowd? Is this what I, you say? I don't like, believe like, in luck. I, I believe you create your own luck. So. Yeah. Things can happen to you. I mean, and some people have, have more bad things happen to them. And it just, there's an element of chance in the world. But yeah. all you can do is keep putting yourself in that situation and work out what the most positive environments for you are and keep looking for them and keep putting yourself in them. You know what I find is that people that have lots of bad stuff happen to them happen to be obsessed with bad stuff happening to them. And so a lot of people that I sort of know that it's always... It's chicken egg. It's chicken egg. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so someone that's always got drama, always has problems, lo and behold, bad things happen to them. Terry Lynn, speaking of good things in the world, tell me the story of starting your podcast. And you've been out of a job for six months. Yeah, about. You've been gainfully unemployed. Yeah. Congratulations. Applause effect. Why not? <laughs> Tell us the story of, of how, how it went down and how you made that decision because the thread where you talked about that was one of my favorite threads of all time in the D.C. It's just so cool to see people act so cleanly. Why was it easy for you? It looks easy from the outside that you just had a decision and then you did it, like with a capital D. Why? What was it about you that made it happen? Yeah, no, there's certainly stuff I didn't talk about, like finding with my parents, all this stuff, but I'll go into this in a little bit. So it all started for me in a hospital in around late 2011. I had this small surgery uh, to check in a day early. And then what happened was the guy next to me started dying literally next to me, but you're separated by curtains when you're sharing with like two or three other guys. And so I could hear him getting sick, like his wife was panicking. She started saying all these Buddhist prayers. And I, I just walked out. I was like, I do not want to be here when this guy you know, gets, gets out of here. Right? And later that night, I was like, geez, why am I so freaked out? Like, we all have to die one day. And I thought about, you know, if I was in his position, 
would I be happy, what would be going on in my mind? Would I be happy with the life I lived? And if not, why not change it now? And that was it. That's how I found you guys somehow through some podcasts. And then eventually it led to an email with you, Dan. And I gave you some ideas. You gave me some feedback uh, about e-commerce. And here we are. Why, when you think about your mortality, is, is business the thing that popped into your mind and podcasts about e-commerce? I see business and podcasting more as a tool to give you the freedom to look at your mortality and enjoy life, whatever it's you do, right? So mm-hmm. whether it's John's designs, Zach's video, Jimmy's bags, I think we all see that as a tool to enjoy life or mm-hmm. live this life. So. And your, your podcast, you are presenting yourself as an e-commerce expert at the beginning. You didn't have an e-commerce at the time, correct? Yeah. How did you have the confidence to call up people who are experts in the industry and just jam? I mean, you were putting out episodes every week, super high quality. What was it about you that did that? Well, I think... Everyone always wants to know what someone else did for success, like we talked about earlier. But I think instead of looking for a map, you want to use it as a compass instead. Because everyone's going to look for a map, right? You have a story, John has a story, Zach has a story. But what works for us is not always the same that'll work for a listener. And so I think when you just present different arguments or different stories, you can piece together, kind of get an idea of a compass of where you should go rather than looking for step-by-step things that, you know, info guys try to sell you. And I, and I love that Terry did what he did without experience because I think one of the most underrated qualities in this field is curiosity. I think if you can ask the right questions at the right time, then you're streets ahead of other people who, who aren't curious about stuff. Right. Terry said, yeah, like I, I don't have an e-commerce store, but I'm going to ask the right people the right questions, and sooner or later he's going to be in e-commerce, as well as putting a whole heap of value out into the world for the people that are listening to his podcast. Being a blowhard is not required for successful podcasts. You can also just yeah. be really curious and inquiring. You were taking this approach that's sort of like, you're almost like a journalist. Yeah. I think that that's a big opportunity for people is to cover the beat of these niches. I mean, there are things happening here in Southeast Asia. There are things happening in e-commerce. Yeah. There's things happening on Amazon. There needs to be a podcast about Amazon retailing. I mean, why isn't anybody covering that beat, putting out a blog post every single day? And I think that that's why you've been rewarded handsomely for what you're doing is because you're covering the beat. Yeah. And, and I think that there's a lot of room It's intention for also for you to execute. So once you put a flag out there and you say, this is what I stand for, this is what I'm about, it creates a tension that naturally forces you to execute yeah. so you can follow up on your word. Yeah, because then you're almost held accountable by publicly saying, hey, this is what I do. Yeah. And if you don't do it, well, you're going to get called out. Yeah. Zach, you're the newest guy at the table. Why are you here? What's it been like for you? How did you get here? I actually uh, had my own company in Vancouver that I get in some really good momentum with. Out of nowhere, I got reconnected with Mike. Mike and I went to school six years ago, hadn't talked to him. Mike from Time Lapse Strategies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Mike from Time Lapse Strategies. He, he came out of nowhere on Facebook and asked me if I would move to Southeast Asia. And I was sitting on my I just got in my studio in downtown and I just decided, I've been in Vancouver 10 years. I know what my future would be like if I stayed here. I have no idea what my future would be like if I went to Asia. And two weeks later, I bought a one-way plane ticket and I came out here. And what's, how's it been? Uh, it's been amazing. I'm never going back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I lied to my mom and said I'll be gone for three months. Taught her how to use Skype, so you know maybe I'll be back in four years or something for a visit. But I love it. It's changed my life, my mindset, and I got introduced to the Dynamite Circle very quickly. You know, as an unofficial member, people always forgot that I wasn't quite in yet and I wasn't in the forums. And I've always wanted to contribute, and that's why you know all I wanted for Christmas was to be in the DC. <laughs> and uh, now, now I'm in. It's been amazing. Yeah. John, how important is it that everybody's coming here to Saigon? To me, I don't know. I feel like we're natural scene kids. Yeah. I mean, if I'm wearing the tight jeans too. So, <laughs> I mean, there's just something going on. There's something in the air, man. It's, it, it just wasn't going on in 2008. There's no. something happening, right? I mean, how many people do you guys think are here doing this uh, thing? I think there's 60 in the group me. Yeah. Just alone. That's just a slice of the D.C. I don't think all those people were here, but that people were coming in and out constantly. Yeah. And then the entrepreneur expat scene is still booming. You know, we're not the only guys in town. So. Yeah. yeah. I think it started when the first DC BKK event, after everyone went to Chiang Mai, I think people really saw value in having hubs. Yeah. Being, and then you had the Saigon on fire, and that's when kind of everything, pubs started getting built. This hub thing is happening, right? I mean, it seems like there's going to be more popping up. We had the Berlin one. We yeah. had the Hoch, Chiang Mai. I guess Medellin a little bit, New yeah. York, L.A. Well, I think people are naturally drawn to hubs, right? So, I mean, you've got all the elements here that are awesome. So our lives are pretty optimized in terms of, like, you know, where to go to the gym, where to, you know, get smoothies, how to eat. All that stuff we don't like doing is optimized. And yeah. so then this sort of community side of things where, you know, who are you going to drink beers with at night? What are you going to talk about? Yeah. We talk about business 
the way guys back home talk about sports. Yeah. We're doing a play-by-play, you know, having drinks and having a good time, and it doesn't feel like work. It's just part of our existence. What do you guys think about this issue of the entrepreneurial blues? We're going to talk about this, the solopreneur blues, a little bit. Tara, you're a solopreneur, yeah? You haven't hired yeah. anybody yet? No. Nope. When's the first hire going to come? Uh, maybe this year. We'll see. <laughs> Yeah, so blues, God, what do we start with this? We're talking about blues as in like um, well, how, how you overcome those those down moments. We all yeah. have them. They happen. And the irony is that, you know, if you look at manifestation and how things, you know, you create your own reality, they happen. And then you wonder, you can dwell on how you got there or you can realize that you can change it instantly by changing your thought and moving in a positive direction and getting out of the blues. That energy perpetuates itself. Well, I think it also depends on it. being around the right people too. That's why uh, the hubs are so important yeah. in the community yeah. is that you, it, to be... And a community is what you need to do to thrive. Yeah, because if you're still hanging out with people at jobs, like, hey, let's get dinner, let's have beer, let's watch a football game. Talk and crap on our boss. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, That's I hate complaining. my boss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even remember when we were in Taipei, you saw my ex-coworkers, they're yeah. just so jaded. When you hang out with that crowd and you don't move yourself into a new location. Well, and you're also not wiring your brain for success. Yeah. So those conversations don't really add that much value to your life. You know, yeah. talking crap about your boss or talking about the latest TV show or whatever that stuff is it's, it's you're not wiring your brain for success yeah. and just to give so, a contrast like when I was still at my job doing the podcast rather than the past two months as I've been here it's just I get the blues but it's not it doesn't sting as much it doesn't dwell in my head because I can just talk to like John anyone else and then you can flip it around quickly yeah, you flip it around that's what you learn to do flip it around quicker and yeah. quicker and quicker Terry just listens to Joey Diaz <laughs> <laughs> let me ask you guys we're all at different stages here How's your sense of security evolved? Do you guys feel secure? Do you, are you worried about things like retirement and healthcare and being able to support a family and all these kinds of things? I mean, Jimmy, you guys just raised all that money. I mean, what, what are you going to do with it? Well, we bought a couple of can islands. Can I have some, some of it? Yeah, you can have an island if you want. <laughs> Champagne. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we did a budget straight after the campaign with everything we wanted to do until we launched publicly, mm-hmm. and it came out in the red. And that was without taking salary or wages or anything like that. It was taking... A few dollars here and there for food and accommodation and that's it. And so for the first few years, I mean, I think it's awesome that now like my cheap little prison cell in Saigon is paid for by the company. But that's just one step, right? And, and then you move on from there. I think the big thing is, is that I feel lucky to be in this spot. Even before we raised the money on Kickstarter, it was like I come from a reasonably secure background. Like I have so much more opportunity than so many people in the world to turn around and say, oh, well, this is really tough or like... I don't know, like, I feel really insecure about it. I just, I don't know, I just feel like everything's going to work out in the end as long as I surround myself with the right people and, and keep looking forward. Yeah. I think it also depends on the skill set you have, how comfortable and confident you are with yeah. providing value. Like, John, you know, we had this conversation the other day, you know, if you ever go broke, you have design skills, you can instantly find a client, yeah. you know, within a week. And I think it's up to everyone, especially new people who don't have a skill set, to learn that, like, in the first year, second year. And once you get comfortable with that, you can, hey, if ever I'm down, I can always rely on this too yeah that's a good point in terms of like being down I guess mentally I don't really get down that much here there's not a lot to get down about now you're sugarcoating you know I mean what is there to get down about you know I'm not a cubicle monkey sitting somewhere doing that I'm doing exactly what I want to do I've made that choice and so if I do get mentally down a little bit I'm like I'm going to hit the gym, give you guys a call. I don't really get down. I think there is, as part of finding the community and hanging out with it, there's value in engaging with material. I mean, the six months between going full-time on what we were doing and finding this community, that was pretty lonely. It was tough. My business partner, Doug, was still working a full-time job. I met you in Taipei. Yeah, well, apart from that. While I was still at my day job. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was great. (laughs) And that was like the first insight into it, and it snowballed from there. But I wasn't part of this scene to start with, so I didn't really know where I was going. So engaging with the content was the first step, and then engaging with the community was the second step. The narrative fallacy is kind of valuable in that it's inspiring in that early stage. But then I think you move past it and start to embrace the complexity of it, while still retaining a place for, for stories because they are powerful. Because you guys all still listen to podcasts and you all still read blogs, right? Tons. Yeah. Yeah, tons. And, and, and part of it is like you want to be involved in that kind of – so I don't know. Maybe it's just an attitude thing. I think it is. I mean I've been doing this for a long time in terms of being location independent, traveling, working on my business. When I moved to Buenos Aires, there was no dynamite circle there. So I had to make a decision. Am I going to just sit in my house and work all day? Or am I going to insert myself into situations that might create serendipitous circumstances? 
And so you have to get out there and engineer that and like make it happen yourself. Right. Sitting in your house waiting. And I feel like you can do that virtually too. That is exact to me. Like if you're just reading the blogs, like I love like Michael Covell's ideas. Like he's getting reaching out to these people. He's getting involved. You said mentioned yourself. Like you sent me emails and stuff. I don't particularly like it when people send me emails, (laughs) but I'm really actually I'm really thankful for that. And I feel like really fortunate to be in that position. But I love that idea. It's like. F it. I'm not just going to sit there and listen to this crap. I'm going to bump against it. The difference between being a consumer and a producer. Yeah. If you're yeah. only a consumer, you're never going to create abundance. You have to be a producer. You know, it's that. Simple. And if you're always a producer, you're probably shutting yourself off to new ideas. Exactly. I think, as well. Exactly. Is there anything that you guys see in the virtual world that you just think is patent bullshit? Like the stuff that's going out on lifestyle design blogs, stuff that is part of this community that you think is a big misconception that once you if you were to come here to Saigon or to meet Tim Ferriss or whoever like you're just like that was crap I think it's the sugar coating a little bit it's one thing to hear us talk about Saigon but it's one thing to actually be here like mm-hmm. the pollution's a little bad yeah. and maybe it's not like I think our friend Mark Manson he just left recently I mean yeah. I think he had a good time here, but you could tell that this wasn't really his place, right? And I think when we all talk about different locations, yeah. you kind of get idealized, especially when you're sitting in a cubicle, right? Like, when you're listening to this now, you're like, oh, these guys are running around Vietnam, Thailand. Yeah. Like, it sounds awesome, but when you actually get here, the things you have to do to get on to make sure you can sustain this lifestyle is yeah. a lot different. Well, you have to have a routine, yeah. just like anywhere, you know? But so I have a routine, yeah. The payout's so much bigger yeah. for the same amount of work, for, like, your lifestyle, for being here versus being oh, in yeah. a cubicle. Mm-hmm. It's so much greater. Yes, just to flip it a little bit, I think there's a problem, again, maybe an attitude thing or a beliefs set where whenever you think that moving to a certain place or meeting a certain person or doing anything like that is going to be the 100% cure-all or answer. Change your life. Yeah, you know. that, that's going to be, you just do this and then everything will be sweet. Yes. No, it never ends. No. And so as much as Saigon is great, I believe that. As much as you know, people around this table and around this community are brilliant at business, that doesn't mean everything they say is always right. You have to have your internal compass set as well. You can't ever think that it's just going to end and things are going to be great. Mm-hmm. It's going to stay complex. How do you get started with this stuff? Let's talk about that then. I want to give you guys, this is the number one question that I get. What's from interesting actually, you know, a lot of people reach out to me that are in corporate jobs. Mm-hmm. So uh, I wrote a couple of medium articles about uh, bootstrapping in Saigon. So a guy that works at Apple contacted me and he said, hey, you know, I want to, quit my job and do this. I read this article. So we actually hopped on Skype. I said, no problem. Let's talk it through. And Mm so to get started, you have to have that skill set that Terry was talking about to build something, to do something. So what this guy's expertise is, I I don't really want to say, but he can productize it and make his transition out. I think a lot of times too, when people start this lifestyle, they sort of wait to build that product, get that blog up, do whatever, and then make the jump. And then now I'm finally going to work on it Mm -hmm. when I'm in Saigon. You, you got to do the work beforehand. Yeah, I, I think having a powerful skill set, I was, you really do have to get yourself to a position where the rubber meets the road, you know? Powerful skill set means creating real results for people, too. Yeah. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were like, well, what if I, you know, sell this, this service to this person? I think it was about productized services. And then it doesn't work for them, you know? It doesn't actually do the thing that, uh, I was just kind of like, wait a second, ask that one more time. At the end of the day, you, your skill set has to have an impact on people's yeah. businesses or on their lives, right? So I think it's that obsession, that excellence, the, mm-hmm. the care, the curiosity, those things do count, right? At the end of the day, your skill set has to... And you have to have a sense of craft. A lot of people do BS stuff just to get it done. So if you have no sense of craft with your skill set, you will not excel and stand out. Terry, you have that with your podcast, yeah? I can sense it from even from the beginning. You understood what it took to make a, a podcast. I learned from you, man. I learned from the best. <laughs> <laughs> no, but my favorite was that I looked at Andrew Warner at Mixer, right? and he was all over the place. I think SaaS apps, you know, copywriters, all these people on his show. And I figured, hey, you know, if he's taking this role in a general entrepreneurship, why don't I just narrow it down in e-commerce? And mm-hmm. that's all I did. Grip pivot jam. Yeah, basically. The thing about your question, though, is that it comes right back to the beginning. You're asking us how we got started. Yes. It's, it's, we're all going to give different answers. It's right. right back to the very beginning. Like we, we all have our own ways. For me, personally, I burned all bridges behind me. Gave up the job, came here with a one-way plane ticket, no way back, and that's how I made it work here. Jimmy, how long did it take you to make the transition? Long time. Long time. We first talked about doing business together in general in 07, and then we would kind of save every dollar we could, you know, share a room in Auckland, New Zealand, and uh, as soon as we could just take off and go on a big 
sourcing, scouting trip around Asia and, and do that repeatedly. So go back to work for four months, do a job, get out again. What I thought was that I could go from one to the other and then pick up where I left off the next time around. And actually, it's, it didn't work like that. And the particular stuff we were trying to do, if you lose momentum, you, you're back to square one. The hours I was working, I was working in the film industry, so it was, you know, six in the morning till 11 at night. I mean, there was no hours. Even, no matter how hard working I was, I just couldn't. I couldn't live a normal life or sleep without, you know, it's not like I could do it on my off hours. It took, a, you know, a couple of years to work out that, you know, we're kind of treading water by going back and forth on it. So eventually, you know, I had one last big trip kind of by myself uh, around the world and, and just thought about what I really wanted to do and said, OK, screw it, I'm going full time on it. Got back to New Zealand, packed all my stuff, moved to Taiwan, and that's where I met Terry. But like I say, for the first five, six months, I wasn't engaged with the community really, and, and it was lonely and I didn't know what I was doing and no one else around me was doing the same thing and yeah it was it was a long slow process but things started turning around when I said okay well I'm not finding this particular community right now like let's start inserting ourselves into communities that we see that we think are aligned with what we're doing right I think you can't have one foot in the room, one foot out the door. When you're in a limbo like that, you're just wasting your time. In some ways, like this is, comes back to my original idea, which is figuring out what facts belong properly in the narrative and what mm-hmm. facts don't belong in the narrative is sort of a fool's errand. And what you're suggesting is the narrative of success then is <laughs> inserting yourself into these narratives, finding a way to be part of the narrative, right? Or create it. Create events. Like I used to create events all the time, and I brought people together that I wanted to be around. Throw the party that you want to go to. And again, don't think that because Tim Ferriss did this one thing and you do this one thing, oh, well, equals success, equals profit. I mean, that's not the way it works. You just can't have full, total, unflinching belief in any narrative, but you have to engage with them. What do you think about the four-hour work week? Do you guys think it's still as good as it always was? Is there something wrong with it? He talked about how he got to 80k a month before he started outsourcing everything. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think it has its moment in time. I mean, I can remember when The World is Flat was written by Thomas Friedman. To me, that had more of an impact on me than the four hour work week. I'm not a lifestyle business guy, I'm not looking for my muse. Yeah. Uh, I like building scalable startups, and that's typically where I've been, and that's what I'm getting back to. And so I'm more of a startup savage. I'm fierce about it. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) So, you know, I I feel like there's this new evolution going on here. And even if you look at the sort of archetypes of people here in Saigon, the types of businesses they're working on, you know, for the most part, there's not affiliate marketers and the usual internet marketing crap. You know, people have real products, real businesses. Yeah. How many make money online guys do we hang out with? I can't think Just of me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'll buy your course, man. Uh, there's an evolution of that, you know? So Tim Ferriss was an amazing framer of something that's inevitable. Yes. And so he framed it and just did that really well. Well, that brings up an interesting point then. What's inevitable now? I mean, five years ago, this wasn't happening. Where do you guys see this all going? Where are we all heading for? I mean, I'll tell you one thing that I think is happening is that digital nomadism is a male-dominated Thing. Can I fairly say that? It yeah. is. Yeah, for sure. I think that Dynamite Circle is probably 15% women right now. something that I'm not particularly excited about. But what I am excited about is that I think the women are coming on board fiercely in the next five years. I, I see that as a major trend mm-hmm. and one that our community would welcome very much, obviously. It would add value for there to be a more equal representation, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. It can never hurt to have an equal representation of, of sexes or genders anywhere, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that'd be great. I mean, I see, it, I see it just growing in general. I think there's weird digital nomads, if you take that term, and there's a nomadism to it, but I think there'll be more people coming on board who want a more stable base. Yes. So I think that... You know, you can be location independent but still have a stable base. And as the community grows, it'll be more worthwhile you doing that. If you're living in Boulder, Colorado, and you can work from anywhere, but you've got five or six other people doing the same sort of thing as you in Boulder. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's still part of the community. And anyone who's traveling around still doing the non-stable thing can roll through Boulder and meet those people and have a great time with them. Don't you think it's true that people, everybody wants stability and everybody wants adventure? In a lot of ways, what a lot of us have done is said, okay, they're both expensive options, right? And so we've traded one to get the other. And that's generally what happens, right? But, but if you build wealth, you can have both. 
or if you play yeah. your cards, you don't even need wealth. You just. Need I, to I think the right. infrastructure to support digital nomadism is evolving. So I think the idea of like stable is kind of interesting. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, when the Four Hour Work Week was written, there was no Airbnb. You know, yeah. There was not, you know, a lot of this infrastructure. Odesk. We, Odesk. Yeah, very minimal stuff like that, right? So these things. iPhone. That we, <laughs> I love that point that Airbnb didn't exist because it's yeah. funny how easily we forget the future happening right in front of our faces. Yeah. Like, when did we think that literally, like, personal handheld devices were going to have the sum total of human knowledge and open with fingerprints yeah. or looking at your face or whatever? I mean, look at all the communications that we organize on the iPhone. We have the group me where we can all ping each other right now and self-organize on the fly. In 2008, when I first moved here, I still thought it was a good idea to write a travel guide. Can oh, you believe yeah. that? That was only five years ago. I was thinking, I'm going to write a better travel guide that has the better. That's yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, the, that's the worst idea ever. Yeah. I, There's people I wasn't that traveled here without a laptop. Yeah. You know, I mean, now we've got a mobile office. The internet's, you know, spotty at times here, but it's decent enough to get work done. And we can set up shop anywhere, and we do. Also, you're seeing a little bit of an ageism in this community. It's definitely a generational thing. You know, a lot of people under 40. I see that changing as well. Yeah, you know, I get a lot of emails from guys that are recently divorced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I actually got one this morning. Actually, I'm like, yeah, it's changing like that. Yeah, there is an ageism, I guess, but that's pretty natural, right? You know, because I, I think that the sweet spot in age tends to be like that 25 to 32 range. You know? Yeah, that seems to be the sweet spot where people are like, oh, I don't want to be in a. You know, these job. movements they start with certain demographics for whatever reason, and this one seems to be younger, college educated, Western kind of thing. But I mean, another trend that I see is that. People all around the world are getting involved in this. And you even see that in the Dynamite Circle. I think we have three Vietnamese members now. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to use Dynamite Circle as the only litmus test for this kind of thing. If you were going to go to a 25-year-old Chinese woman five years ago and say, hey, you can live anywhere, that is absolutely crazy talk. But but I think that's a real legitimate opportunity for a Chinese person or a Taiwanese person or whatever, you name it now. I think this is is not going to be reserved for the Westerners coming to Asia or going to South America. at our Bulletproof Coffee meetups, right? There's literally people from eight different countries drinking coffee with butter and coconut oil in it. Yeah, I think the face of the movement's changing, but I think the evolution is changing in general. You know, the things you used to be able to leverage and build a business around or earn income around? eBay. eBay, affiliate marketing. People still do that, but the bar is so high now that you have to actually build a legitimate business. And so that's changed. I mean, I I have an interesting insight into this because I'm providing tools for people to live this lifestyle. So, and that's what we set out to do. We we saw this the societal change happening, and then we said, okay, well, we know we need these tools, so other people must do it as well. And we see it as a as a growing thing. But what's interesting is that you know when people email us saying, I want the bag, you know, when are they being released? They often give their story as well, like, oh, I'm about to quit my job, or I've just graduated, or, you know, uh, we're part of a couple that's heading out on the road. It's really interesting that there is a total cross-section there, from people who are still doing the corporate thing and and want to branch out a bit, or a newly location independent, or, you know, working out what they're going to do once they hit the road and they just need the right tools. There's a real a surge of the type of people or an increase in the, in the range of people that are trying this out. I think if people are having a difficult time visualizing themselves as an entrepreneur or as a location-independent entrepreneur, a lot of people that listen to this show are entrepreneurs. They can't get their head around or they don't have a setup that allows them to travel yet, and that's part of the, the motivation here. I think as business owners, we're looking for trends and, and great ideas. Well, how do you find those? And oftentimes people, they overcomplicate it, I feel like. It's right under your noses. You just heard it, which is that all of us around this table serve the community that we're a part of. All of us. You with travel tools, you with great information about e-commerce, you with fabulous videos, you with fabulous designs, and me with a crappy podcast. (laughs) But this is an incredibly growing market. So if you're in any way attracted to it, why not just serve it? Because you're going to have no problem with customer acquisition. We all know who each other are. We all need things. And so I think that, you know, we're seeing a lot of that in the community. I loved also, there was a moment when you said, you know, I know that these people need tools. And, And that was something that you felt yourself. I mean, I didn't feel that 
me myself until you brought it to me. And I think trusting your instinct about what the world needs is really important. I was even a naysayer to you, I think. At one point I was like, why bother with the bag? You know, but you felt that. I still have that doubt to me too. Like, I'm sure you've all had ideas that you're like, ah, oh, maybe that's just me. And then someone else does it and you're like, ah, oh, God damn nah. it. <laughs> I invented Pinterest like 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> that actually, I, that's a good one actually. You know, that's the biggest excuse for not executing that I hear is someone else has done it. Mm. And so that's one you hear all the time. And I love like looking at, you know, WP Engine and well, has anybody done it in a way that is great for you? And yeah, they're a hosting company, essentially. Yeah. You but can do it yeah. better. I mean, look how many bags there are and you made the bag even better. Yes. Yeah. Like, you can yeah. always improve. If, if other people have done it, that means there's a market. There's a market. Yeah, that that's means right. there's money yeah. out there. And if you can see ways that they're not doing it right and people agree with you, you can test that assumption and then you're on a winner. Social networking. You know, how many waves of different social networking sites have there been? You know, there was Friendster, MySpace, Facebook. Now they're going into another evolution altogether. All right, so to round out the episode, if we could go back and start fresh with hindsight, are there things that you would do differently than when you first perpetrated your entrance into this entrepreneurial conversation? No, I wouldn't do anything different. And I, I was saying this to you a little bit last night. I tend to live in the present and the future. So, you know, you've always got to learn from your mistakes, but... I'm really, really happy with where I am right now. And that winding path of complexity is the path that got me here. And so even though there were mistakes, even though there were low times, even though anything, whatever it is, that got me here. And to change any of that might change at all, you know. Maybe the, a better decision three years ago might have meant that I didn't come to this point, which I really love. So it's kind of a no regrets thing, right? I could give myself advice all day, but in the end, I'm happy with where it's, where it's at now, so I wouldn't change anything. All right, Terry, what would you do? I know you would do things differently. What yeah, would- I wouldn't have bought those uh, $2,000 suits I had when I got the job. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think going to what Jimmy says, like, I think there's always things we would change, but hey, the past is a past. You know, future hasn't happened yet. All you can do is stay in the present, so... What about with the podcast, though, specifically? You started a successful, mm-hmm. monetized blog. There are people that legitimately think you can't do that, and you went and did it in six months. Yeah. Is there anything you do differently? Yeah, I, think I would have nailed down the audience even more, because I started within very general e-commerce. So even within that business model, you have drop shippers, Amazon sellers, eBay sellers, yes. guys like you that manufacture, guys like Jimmy that are Kickstarters. And I kind of just took a very general route, thinking that, hey, it's e-commerce. I didn't know anything starting out to it. And until last year, I realized that, okay, if you look at where dropshipping is going, where all these different models are going, you know, it's really about building a strong brand with your own store mm-hmm. behind the business that's creating lasting value. Like, why don't I just take this route? And so yeah, I, you know, I was listening to Sean Ogle talk on a podcast the other day. He was like, look, ideas are easy. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I agree with him. You were saying, like, hey, just Google it. Like, anybody who's having excuses, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's... If you have Google and an internet connection, shut up. <laughs> get busy. Like, there's no reason to make an excuse. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. just get busy. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking about your idea about niching even further. Yeah. I've had people pitch ideas and masterminds recently to me about a particular kind of Amazon selling, like a blog about it. Mm-hmm. And the proposal that this could be a million dollar business within the next 24 to 36 months. And I thought it was the least preposterous thing said all day long. Ideas are easy. There's tons of yeah. stuff out there to yeah. do. It's the hard part is shutting up and working really hard. Yeah. You know, that's hard. Well, the idea is the, the easy seed. part. You have to get into the soul of it and find out what makes your idea so different. And then that's when you really start to shape And that it, comes from you know? the work. That's the work. Yeah. That's actually with the hammer, hammering the thing out. It doesn't happen by discussing it yet another time, right? Yeah. yeah. Like what I thought about the podcast in episode one rather than right now in like 85 and never missing a week is completely different like where I was you know, a year and a half ago. Until you get into it, you don't really know where you are. You can have an idea, but until you get in there and start chiseling away at the sculpture, you'll yeah. never know. Do anything different? Any regrets? As, like John said, if you, you, know, you want to be successful, you got to have confidence in your skill set. That took me a little while. And once the moment I decided that I was good at what I did, I made five figures on a job, like the next job. You know, and that's what really changed for me. Learning to embrace failure. I used to dwell when I failed, and the moment I embraced it and saw it as the lesson, I was able to turn around and move forward way quicker. It, my Aren't we in the business of being failures? Uh, yeah, Isn't you that have the to idea? love it. You have to love failure. Video is a great example of it, right? Like, no matter how much you pre-production, plan, do all that stuff, I mean, when there's a lot of dollars on the line, time's valuable, all that stuff... You can do all that, but in the end, it's like you're on set, you're having to make split-second decisions, and a lot of the things aren't working, and you've got to figure out how to fix it. And I think that's a great example of an industry where you have this goal in mind, you have an end product, 
and then you get into the business of it and everything changes, you know. Problem solving instantly. Yeah. But without having done that pre-work, you wouldn't be able to make those decisions as well. Yeah, but the path gets formed, like Terry said. It's hard to say how to get there, but taking that first step forward is the most important part because the other steps will become visible from them, but you've got to take that first step and just keep moving and moving and moving. You told me six months ago I'd be living in Asia. I would have told you you're crazy, and now I can't even imagine having not like come here. I'm meant yeah. to be here. Like When I was still stuck in my job, I thought quitting was the event, but that's like, well, no, that's just the beginning. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like you leave the office, you're like, wow, what do I do now? i got to like figure this stuff out. So. I mean, same with Kickstarter. People have said, I, I went home for a couple of months, and, and a few people said, wow, like, great success, well done. And I was like, I haven't succeeded. You know, I raised money on Kickstarter. I haven't shipped the bags yet. Like, wait until, I, <laughs> wait until the people get the bags. I'm the world's greatest con man at the moment, right? Like, yeah. um, don't worry, the bags are coming. But, <laughs> but it's that thing of what you think is the end is often the start. And that's a really good point I think you're making. But I think the essence of your question, right? I don't have any regrets whatsoever. I don't. I don't look back. I'm extremely in the present and moving forward. But the essence of your question is, you know, how are you reflecting on your experience in your life? And what mistakes don't you want to repeat in the future? Yeah. And so for me, the biggest one, and we don't talk about it enough, so I'll just throw it out there, is relationships. Relationships put a huge tax on your time and effort. And so how I manage relationships, I keep getting a little bit better, I think. And then, you know, you slip. And so I think it's really important to think about how you manage relationships and how that impacts your future. Are you breaking up with me right now? I'm breaking up. <laughs> On the live air? No, like no, no. <laughs> I didn't read that letter. I didn't get you anything from Valentine's Day either. I think the thing I find interesting is I hang out with you guys is that I can ask you about your story on how you got here, but I'm more interested in the way how you think. Like, I like how the way John thinks, the way you think, the way Jimmy thinks about things. Mm-hmm. And that's what I try to absorb rather than the tactical things they did to get where they are. Yeah, how people make decisions. Yeah, like I- how, what's their thought process, what goes on in their mindset, things like that. I think that stuff is much more valuable to extract rather than their whole story of what and they also did. Also how people react under pressure, you know, so that's a big one. You know, we're all constantly under stress, but I don't even really think about it, but other people would get totally freaked out and panicked by yeah. the decisions I have to make. But in that case, I would look at why is John not affected by pressure? What makes him handle it better than me? And can I learn from him? Yeah. So that when that happens to me. You know? Yeah, it's a cross-pollination of mindset and process and all those sort yeah. of things. Getting back to that narrative fallacy thing, it's like you can learn a limited amount by where people have started and what phases they've gone through and all that. But I think, yeah, just like you say, it's that what is the key thing in this person's brain that allows them to succeed in this complexity? Mm-hmm. Like the complexity is going to continue and ideally you keep hitting new situations. How does this person continually deal with those situations? What is their heuristic for dealing and, and moving out in a better place than they were before? And I think once you internalize those, it's much more powerful over time when you kind of expand your mindset by taking what's working for everyone else. And, much more leverageable too over time. I think people that manage complexity well have an extremely gifted skill set of laser-like focus on impact and scale. So all that other crap that's around there, they don't even see it. They're just focused in on like whatever's going to create the most impact or value in their life or to mitigate impact as well. I want to ask you guys a question before we go. We've been talking for almost an hour now to try to maybe give some concrete takeaway for the listeners. And the question I have is, We've been talking a little bit about acting, but if people want to listen to something or read something a little bit more useful, what might be one thing that would motivate you to act or one piece of content that would inspire you to join the conversation that you would suggest that they could go pick up? And I'll tell you what I would do. I really like the niche that Sovereign Man is in. So again, we're talking about instead of trying to decode success, we're talking about trying to speak with success. I really like internationalization. I really like globetrotting James Bond kind of things. I have some problems with it. It's a little bit negative and doomsday. I'm a much more positive guy. I want to know where the opportunities are, but there's still a lot of that stuff on that blog. Mm -hmm. So what I would do is I would binge on that blog. I would read it all weekend long, and then on Monday morning, I would email the owner of the blog and say, I want to work for you. But I wouldn't make a pitch and make them think about anything. I would just seek the sign-off. I would say, I'm just going to do this if that's okay, let me know. If not, I'm going to do it anyway. And I would just start sending them researched articles until they would bring me on as a writer. Is that hard? Yes. But is it difficult? Do you have fear around that? You know, it's mainly a fear thing. It's not hard. It's it's not only a fear thing. It's it's a work thing, right? I mean, look, like writing an article that's good enough to go on SovereignMan.com, which is, by the way, part of what it takes to be successful in general is to do good stuff. Yeah. That could easily take you 
two or three full work days. When we step back from all this stuff, that's what's keeping people away from this, right? Because you got jobs, you got hobbies, you got families, you got relationships, and maybe you, you don't have two or three days. But you said the magic word that destroys it, work. None of this feels like work to me, ever. Yeah. My craft, what I'm doing to serve my customers, does not feel like work, ever. You know, whereas people, other people, they're not enjoying that. They haven't found that. So it is work. And joining the conversation vis-a-vis your craft. So for me, I love to, to read and to research and to write. So that's, I think, how I would do it. I would just start producing the articles. And at a certain point, you're so good, they can't deny you. I mean, either, either they're going to start publishing my articles or I'm going to write them three weeks later and say, I sent you guys 15 articles. Not one's going up on the site. They're all free. So I'm just going to take back those articles and then I'm going to Give them to the next blogger. I'm going to write my own blog because you guys aren't taking me on or whatever. So that's how I join the conversation. Do you got any content podcasts that, that really are action inspiring to you? Yeah, it's a tough question because generally my opinion is that most people have an excess of inhalation. You know, the area, the domain specific stuff is already being taken in at an inflated rate. And so I'm always saying like, I think you should be taking in content that's not related to not being in this little bubble like read stuff that makes you think about the world like fiction whatever it is I'm a big proponent of getting out there and seeing other stuff and and kind of making yourself a more well-rounded person and saying that if there was something within you know that domain I think I can't go past Paul Graham's essays I just think he has that kind of he straddles the more high level or wider kind of world changing opinions but he also gets down into the nitty gritty of of, you know business and startups and all that sort of stuff so I'm always inspired by reading him Carolyn yeah if I'm giving advice to someone who's still stuck in a job like I would say MJ DeMarco's book, uh, Millionaire Fashion, I think the way he lays everything out is very formulaic in terms of like, if you work 30 years, here's the math, here's how it works out, here's how it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. And this is another path that you can choose, which is kind of what we're all striving for, right? Because I think when we're on this path, looking at people back at jobs, it's like a different world for us. And I think when you're still in that space, like I was six months ago, that book really just flips a switch for you. I think. Whereas for our work week, kind of was, a, I feel like it was a little gimmicky. Because it was just, hey, outsource everything and, you know, here you go. Whereas MJ really lays it out for you mm-hmm. on how to get there a lot clearer, I think. I like that. Zach? Someone that's added a lot of value to the way I think about business and how I approach marketing even is Simon Sinek. So yeah. he broke down, you know, the why, what, how. Anything by him, videos, he's got an amazing website. Anything by him really formulates why we think the way we do and how to implement that in your life and your business. Yeah, you know, Start With The Why is one of those books that has a title and a cover just like every other business book. It's like, I agree that that, that book just really stands out for me as, as something that's fabulous. I mean, start with this 20-minute video on, yeah. on YouTube. It's, it's out of this world. A couple old standbys that I think are really important for success in this lifestyle are uh, Social Intelligence, Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Goleman. And so if you have a low emotional IQ, low level of social intelligence, you won't succeed in this. Social intelligence is like driving. Everybody yeah. thinks they have it. Yeah. Right? yeah, exactly. Right. And so that's a good one. People aren't in the business of telling you about your social collateral damage. You know, by the way, it, you yeah. know, I'd say you, I, you mildly annoyed everybody last <laughs> night. <laughs> but there's a, there's a good lesson from that book, right? So they're talking about anticipating the needs of others. And so as a designer, that's how I look at stuff. You know, it's a usability exercise. So there's an anecdotal story where they're talking about this Japanese businessman who's coming into this American household and he would you know in japan they would just anticipate that need every all the food would be laid out and be ready to go as a guest the businessman didn't want to ask them to do that i think that driving example is a good one because majority of people are as you say and then there's a minority of people who know they're not good at driving and use it as an excuse not to drive there's that secondary thing of like oh well i'm not good socially so i can't go out there and and be social and i think that's what's what john is getting at with you know reading up on it and and you you can't learn how to be a good person from a book but you can start thinking about the way the world works and how people work and and slowly figure it out from there then another curveball Mike Tyson's Undisputed Truth. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he knew that was coming. Wow, what a, what a great book. That book blew my mind. One of the most heavily judged characters of our time, rightfully so. He's a gregarious personality and had some serious accusations that he served time for. It's an incredible book just in terms of a character study and looking at extreme personalities. Tons of takeaways there. I mean, do you guys feel like our community is littered with these extreme personalities or, or not? I don't know. I, I I'd say know. it's a mix. Yeah. It's a balance. It's not a bunch of crazy sociopaths that want to... <laughs> I mean, there's a couple of weirdos in the DVD. I don't, don't want to call people out. I mean, you know, you guys did see the white tiger in my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
I think if anything, it, it trends a little bit nerdy, right? Like people yeah, yeah. who like books and information and computers. Yeah. And well, there's this thread in the DC, right? It's called Only in the DC. Yeah. And so one of the things that's interesting is the other sort of slivers of lifestyle that sort of we all gather around. So health and wellness, fitness, big ones, right? Mm-hmm. So we all are on a similar health path, which is strange if you really think about it. Like how many people out there like to put butter and coconut oil in their coffee. Right. There's a high percentage in the D.C. that <laughs> yeah. does not correlate with the real world. Maybe even one of the longest threads is, uh, what's your location and internet speed? Yeah. <laughs> who, who finds that interesting? We do. Yeah, we do. Exactly. You know? and, it's, yeah. and it's so popular. You well, might be in the D.C. if you literally have speedtest.net yeah. app on your telephone. Yeah. yeah, you'll literally move to a location because of a post from there. Oh. You guys are all members. So what do you think it's for? Like, Who do you think should join? Who's the ideal D.C. or what's it all about for you guys nowadays? Oh, I'm going to contradict the previous conversation. If you're looking to make a change, if you are on something, you're stuck on something, you want to enter a path of entrepreneurship, you're on that path, you want to widen your network. That's what it's about. It's the people inside that you're really connecting to. That's it. For widen your network, if if it's easier to engage with, it's like widen your network is find cool people to talk about stuff that you're interested in as well, You know, especially if you don't have those people around you anyway. Making friends that have similar interests. I mean, it's like anything. It's, It's not some special thing that's, you know, while it has a lot of unique characteristics, it's just like joining a sports team because you'll probably all like the same sport and being yeah. able to hang out with those people. I mean, if, if you're interested in this sort of stuff, it can be hard to find that community. And that's what it does. I mean, it ties those people together. Yeah, I think so people who just want to write their own life scripts. You know, yeah. we're all doing our own script, but when you're together, you can write kind of a big narrative together too. So. Mm-hmm. Right, we're a little bit like, you know, you mentioned moving places because of the threads. I oftentimes envision us as like schools of fish, mm-hmm. you know, like one pilot fish kind of turns left and everybody's like, what, what's Terry going to Taiwan for? And yeah. everybody kind of goes over there and like kind of writes yeah. about it. And, yeah, totally, man. And that's part of the, these mini narratives and scripts that get written that help us to make decisions, you know? I mean, what, sh- what kind of business should I do? What kind of PPC guy should I hire? Where, where should well, I take the, a vacation? The, the, the I, beauty I think, is you're connecting too and you're creating other opportunities. So like I've created a new business with another DCR. Mm-hmm. You know? So we've hired staff here in Saigon now to work on that business. And you so, do, you, when you bump into this kind of stuff, you end up doing stuff together and yeah. projects. I can think back to just so many little micro bumps. I mean, I think the first time I ever went to Bali, I think I went there because I saw it written about on Cody McKibben's blog. Yeah. Cody used to post a lot at thrillingheroics.com and yeah. I saw all these pictures of Bali and I was like, I needed to meet up with Ian somewhere. So I was just like, all right, and then I bumped into Tommy Schultz who just left an iTunes review on this very show. Actually, wow. just let me read it. Um, they should be charging for this. Dan and Ian are two of the most generous and genuine guys I've ever met. He's totally bullshitting. Got to know them when they were getting started. Tommy Schultz is listening to OutsourceThePhilippines.com. Mm-hmm. And he has two or three VAs in Manila or something. And he has a question about them. So he sends me an email. And I'm sitting in Singapore's airport in Changi enjoying probably a foot rub and brilliantly fast Wi-Fi and, and a wheatgrass smoothie. I love that place. And I see the email from Tommy come in, and then at the end of the email, the obligatory, if you're ever in Bali, give me a note, I'll, get, I'll grab you a beer. It's like, be careful about your beer offers to other people who are digital nomads, because I was like, great, I'll be there in six hours. And that's how I met Tommy. And you know, we all now have tons of Tommy Schultz stories, or at least oh, yeah. familiar with his work, and yeah, he's come yeah. to Tropical NBA to take headshots of, of some of us. And yeah. it's just, that to me is interesting, that you just randomly mentioned this whole thing and it all just weaves together Mm -hmm. and I think that's important you know I think there's something to that smashing atoms it's not you can't just all be virtual you can't just go down into mom's basement and play the video game of the internet (laughs) talking about narrative fallacy is that it's a narrative fallacy because you can't contain all those micro interactions that really make the difference it's like grabbing noodles with a dude late at night one night and he gives you an idea for something that you can do with your business or as soon as you're in a community where people are helping people and people have ideas and and similar interests I mean Mm -hmm. those things might not make a good epic narrative or a blog post or whatever but it's like it's those things that really add the value to your life Mm -hmm. and that's exactly why I joined you know I've been in the DC maybe two hours and super stoked yeah. and, congratulations and uh, I joined to give back so yeah. that's where I'm at in my life I believe if you just give and help out I know there's not many people that do video in our community and I want to just help out in any way I can and I want to give and give and give I've been doing this my entire life so if I can help somebody I've already helped people solve like compressor issues and just random things mm-hmm. and it's going to go from there and that's 
where I'm at now, I just want to provide value. And I know whatever happens, happens. It'll come back tenfold. I just believe that. So. Yeah. And I think these little things that what Jimmy talking about, you know, hanging out, getting fun at night, yeah. hanging out, getting ideas. Shisha. This, this is stuff an info product can't give you, right? I mean, yeah. the, you, you'll never find this in an info product unless you actually get out here and join the community. Yeah. Well, and also, too, people just more open to contributing to each other. And it's yeah. over. That's time. time it was real. Drink. It's beer o'clock. Thanks, boys. I really appreciate you, you coming out and joining the show. It'll be interesting to see what people think of our decidedly unnarrative fallacy show. I mean, there's no thing that ties this, no. what we're talking about together. And I think that's life, right? Say yeah. la, la vie. It's not Unscripted. Always a, not always five points. This one's at tropicalmba.com slash roundtable. Lots of interesting people on this show. We'll have links to everything that they do at that address. And uh, we'll see you guys next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning. 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.